As I'm sure you know by now if you listen to our podcast, Ryan and I are huge fans and supporters of Train to Hunt. Train to Hunt is now a supporter of the Hunt Harvest Health podcast, and that means a discount for you if you want to join a race in 2017. Come be a part of the Train to Hunt family. I mean, one thing you'll take away from Train to Hunt is no matter how well you place is the sense of family. The support, encouragement, and friendships is what you will remember and take away from these events. So bring your spouse, bring your kids, your friends, and make it a family event. It really doesn't even matter if you're a hunter or not. That's okay if you don't hunt. This event can help improve your strength, your focus, and your endurance. Use the promo code HHH10 anytime in 2017 when you enter a race you will get $10 off your $100 entry fee and at the same time will be supporting the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. You can find more information as well as the entire 2017 train to hunt schedule at huntharvesthealth.com slash train to hunt. As our good friend Dave Baronio likes to say during the train to hunt, leave it on the mountain. Well, when it comes to packing out your meat, you probably don't want to leave that on the mountain. And an important tool of getting it out of the backcountry is a backpack. If you backcountry hunt, hike, or train, you need an excellent backpack. Exo Mountain Gear has you covered. So Ryan uses the XOK2 5500 backpack for everything from train to hunt to hauling out his fall harvest. Strong and durable with a unique design, including a built-in dry bag, which is great for you Pacific Northwest hunters. XO is leading the market in comfortable, well-fitting, and functional packs. By using the special link that we have on our website, at huntharvesthealth.com slash exomountaingear, you can support the Hunt Harvest Health podcast and your back by getting the best backpack on the market. So leave everything else on the mountain, but make sure you get your meat out with Exo Mountain Gear. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast. Uh, we have been in a little bit of a funk lately. We've kind of uh, missed a couple weeks, but um, got a few podcasts knocked out as of late. We've just been uh, so busy with life and kids and work and everything else that we haven't been able to record much. But uh, I think we've got a really good guest on today. Um, well, we do have a really good guest for sure. And uh, But before we wanted to get into that, we kind of wanted to just recap our weekend. We uh, were just getting back from Nevada and uh, had a great weekend. Uh, the whole family got to go down and spent a few days just camping and and uh, hitting up the train to hunt, um, second one of the year for uh, for train to hunt. And it was a, it was a great trip. We, we got down there. It was hot like Nevada typically is and then uh come race day it cooled off and we ended up with uh, a pretty hot muggy morning and then it just turned to rain squalls and wind and it got a little nasty midday but uh but then it calmed down and it was just a great time so um you know overall I I didn't get a spot on that podium I I was hoping to but um I did my best and uh came away with a kind of a better idea of where I need to go with my, uh, with my training. So, um, 
but anyway, uh, it was a great event. You know, the kids event, this is the first year they've done that. My daughter got a medal. She was so happy with that. She got bronze and, um, she's just super stoked about that. She wears that thing all over the place. And, and then, uh, boy, as far as, uh, the champions on the podium this year, Willie Beebe and the masters, that guy is, um, he's just gifted <laughs> to say yeah. the least. He's, he's incredible. I don't know how he does it. Um, he's just unbelievable once he hits the mountain with weight and he shoots good and he's just, just a great guy. But, uh, it, it went Willie Beebe, Dave Baronio came in second. Dave had a tough start to his day. He, uh, he had all kinds of issues with his arrows. He was actually, well, he was pulling arrows out of the foam and inserts were coming out and he was, uh, he was having to actually, um, you know, glue inserts in, in between shots. So he had, he had a kind of a tough start to his day, but like Dave does, he's, he's all heart and he came at it and, and just stomped the mountain and the challenge course and, um, beat everybody across the line and came back and, and got that second spot on the podium. So, um, you know, I was really happy for him. He, he just did awesome. And, and then Mark Warnke, he, uh, man, that guy, he surprised me. I, I had no idea how tough Mark was and shoot, he showed up and he was, he shot just really, really good. And, hammered that that challenge course he was he was keeping up with Dave for a good part of it and um yeah man he took third and uh just a super tough guy I mean I I got a ton of respect for him watching him hammer out those challenges and and shoot the way he did it was it was pretty awesome to watch and then of course the open division um not much has changed Trevor is pretty much still on top he's beating everybody he uh he took he took the day, uh, the overall, so he got the overall best scores. Uh, he beat Willie Beebe by like three seconds. But, um, and then his wife, Lindsay, she did awesome. Uh, she's, you know, I watched her and boy, they're, they're tough cookies, those two. And, um, Trevor's, Trevor's going to be a tough one to beat for anybody who tries. He, uh, again, he didn't shoot the greatest in the beginning, but gosh, and usually he outshoots everybody, but, um, he came back and, and I think he, that just gave him a spark and he hit that mountain course and challenge course and just destroyed it. And, uh, he's, he's just fun to watch. He's just super, super tough and mentally tougher than most. So, um, yeah, again, Trevor, tough guy to beat this year for anybody to, <laughs> to beat him. That would be impressive. Um, don't know that that's ever going to happen, but, uh, yeah. So what, what'd you think about the, uh, weekend, babe? Well, first it was just fun to get away and go to the sun and go to some warmth. That was great. Nevada is such a different climate than where we live. It's always <laughs> this time of year. It's, it's great fun to go there. Uh, I had an interesting, you know, just watching the, the new setup, the train, new train to hunt setup with the one day format, seeing how different that was than the two day format. Uh, it was a pretty long day. And yeah, I, I think we we registered about 7 a.m. and none of us really got out of there until it was dark. And we were shining lights on the podium to take yeah. pictures of the, of the Yeah, champion. if you see any pictures from us, like everybody looks like they're getting spotlighted by the cops or something. But they, uh, it was a long day. The weather was a little bit rough. 
you know, for the competitors, they're nervous. They got adrenaline flowing and they're running these mountain courses and sweating and doing the challenges. For us spectators, we're not doing that. We're usually carrying two-year-olds around who are screaming. And so I spent a lot of my time in the car with the kids. Um, But I was able to watch a lot of the challenge course uh, guys. And uh, of course, Lindsay, she was the only woman there in her um, division. So she makes it look easy. But she's fun to watch and just see how a woman does it. Yeah, she's really good. She shot really well, and she did really good on the on the course. So yeah, it was cool to watch. And then uh, it was it was just kind of fun to to watch how that new setup is and how those four challenges with the four sprints. That's pretty intense, and the weather was kind of blowing rain sideways, so that made it that made it a little challenging for shooting. I, I think in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, that morning it kind of started off cool, and then it kind of warmed up. For uh, by the end of the three D challenge, it was warmed up. Guys were stripping off layers, and then shoot right after the first couple waves of the challenge course, um, a big old system moved in, and it was just dumping rain and got windy and cold. The temperature dropped pretty good, so uh, that made it interesting. Yeah, luckily there wasn't any lightning. I think we were all a bit worried about that because they would have had to stop the racing. So that was good. The weather was a bit harsh in the afternoon, especially when you have carrying kids around. But other than that, um, you know, Ryan hasn't really said how he did because that's how he is. But he, he actually got fourth place and he was literally seconds behind Mark Warnke. And he shot in the 3D shoot in the morning. He was ahead of everybody in the entire uh, competition uh, in shooting. And so Mm. I'm just going to brag on you a little bit because I think that's pretty awesome to shoot that well uh, on a course that you've never been on, you've never seen. And that's kind of the talent, you know. But the challenge... All that... that kind of showed is that I choked <laughs> yeah, and I, I shot pretty good on the 3d but then I had that lead and then uh gosh dang I I just didn't tackle that hill hard enough or something I just uh that's kind of where I lost some time and you know I feel like I did pretty good on some of the exercises and different things but I definitely need to do a couple things different I need to shoot better on the challenge course you really lose valuable time and seconds when you don't shoot fives on that challenge course and I have got to get better on that for sure. Yeah, well, you still did. You still did really amazing, and I was shocked that you weren't on the podium. But all the guys that won are quality people, and they're friends of ours, and we yeah. we are totally happy for them. And um, actually, Willie Beebe's daughter, she competed in the kids division with our daughter. They're in the same age class, and our daughter was in second. <laughs> Going in, and then Tessa came in, and she shot, and she beat uh, Paley and put her into third place. And you would have thought that was just the biggest deal. She talked about that for days. Well, you know, Tessa put me in third place. And we're like, well, you know who her dad is, right? <laughs> and and Tessa's yeah, she, like the most cutest little redhead. She's I, watched so, her, I watched her running and she runs hard like her dad. She knows yeah. she's got a mother. And she's so unassuming and she's super shy and she she doesn't really want to stick her head out there. And But she's good when it comes to competing. Oh, yeah. And that was fun for me. I, I helped with the kids race in the morning. And I just watched these kids do this challenge course over and over and over because they could keep doing it for their best time. And holy cow, 
talk about a challenge course, you know, these, you guys are doing it like one time. These kids were doing the whole three-parted challenge course multiple, multiple times. And so we need to bottle whatever that is those kids have, man. It's no matter what weather it was, no matter how hot it was, uh, nothing. They were, the dinosaur was even falling over. The tail fell off, like the wind knocked it over and they were, they were getting it figured out and they were, they were just having a great time. So that was fun to be part of that and watch them be so focused. And, uh, they all helped each other out and were really honest about their scores. And, and it was, well, it was, it was, it was event. the way they did it. Um, you know, you could run through a, a challenge and then, you know, give somebody else a shot. And if you wanted to beat your time, you go back through it and they do it again. And if they shave a few seconds off, they take the best time. So, that motivated them just to keep doing it and just, they're like, I want to do, I want to do it again. I want to do it again. So, yeah. And then lunch came and they were all pretty tuckered out, but I mean, that was a good four hours of them just doing that over and over. Yep. Yep. It's a, it's a pretty cool, it was a pretty cool event. And I think the other highlight of this weekend was getting to meet some of the people that we were able to do podcasts with. And especially the guy that we are going to be talking with today in this podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, today we get to talk with Dave Baronio. Uh, he, again, I met him last year and, and been able to keep in contact with him. And, and uh, yeah, I can't say enough about Dave. He is one incredible fella. I tell you, he's just got a heart of gold and, and he's tough as nails. Um guy just loves to help people and and uh you know pick people up and and motivate them and um yeah he just he's he just uh can't say enough about him but you know today we get to talk about you know a little bit about his life and and what he's doing and um and then also you know how how he helps out you know with the animals down there in, in nevada uh with department of fish and wildlife and and all that and yeah um I think, I think it was a pretty good interview, so we get to learn a little bit more about Dave Baronio. All right, folks, welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. Today, we are extremely fortunate to be um, sitting down with a friend of mine, uh, Dave Baronio, who I met, well, probably about a day or a year ago, sometime, it had to be to the day almost, because it, uh, it was last year's Train to Hunt event. And we're actually, me and the family are down here this year to compete again in uh, the Nevada Train to Hunt. So Dave was gracious enough to have us over, and uh, I thought it would be really cool to sit down with Dave and just kind of pick his brain and, and get to know him a little better. Um, we've been able to keep in touch over the year, and and uh, I mean, I can't really say enough about this guy. He's, He's one of the most inspirational guys, happy guys that I've ever met. Um, always got a smile on his face. True competitor, uh, lives the lifestyle. Uh, so many, so many big things for this guy. But uh, Dave, how you doing today? I'm doing awesome, you guys. It's great that you're back down here in Nevada, and you know it's 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 like we get to see each other every day, yet we live so far apart. Absolutely. So I'm glad you guys are back down. It's yeah. just trained to hunt family, right? It just, we all get to kind of keep together through that. So, um, it's kind of why we're all down here at this point in the year. But, um, man, I, I, I was so fortunate. I think when I came back last year from Nevada, um, the first train to hunt, I think I talked about you more than, uh, more than most. Would you agree, Hill? 
I think I had a bit of a man crush on Dave just because <laughs> it's like, man, there's this guy down there and I've seen him on Outback Outdoors, but gosh, this, this guy was like, after he ran the race, he was running up hills, congratulating people and patting them on the back and, and, you know, hustling with them. And it's like, I was dog tired sitting there at the bottom and he's up there running hills again. And we had just gotten done with a meat pack. But, uh, no, I, I was so impressed with you. Just, just, uh, it was my first event and yours as well, actually. And, uh, it was, it was just really cool to see, uh, how you kind of brought everybody together for that turnout. You, uh, I think you brought about 60 folks to that, um, or got that thing going. And, uh, and man, I was, I was super happy to kind of meet up with you and, and be able to kind of learn about who you are. Um, so maybe you could give a little bit of a background to folks that actually don't know who you are. Um, you know, tell them about Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just, just to take one step back, you know, that Nevada train to hunt was the first one here in Nevada and it was really, it was really special to, um, it was like the energy on the mountain was unique. So many different people from different areas of the West all came together and it was like, you could turn around and say hi to the, this guy and that lady. And, you know, everybody's a competitor, but at the end of the day, everybody was, was a friend and, uh, you know, the camaraderie and everything else, it, it was really special. And so, yeah. you know, our relationship and our friendship has grown from there along with yours and so many other competitors. And it's a lifestyle that, uh, that we all appreciate and, and bringing around uh, like-minded individuals. Absolutely. I, I think I came away with, you know, 15, 20 guys that I've been able to keep in contact with over the last year and, uh, just great guys, like you said. And I had no idea I was going to meet these folks when I came down here and, and, uh, then to come away with that and, and get, uh, such a good group of guys together. Um, whether it's, training, uh, junkies that are just super into training or, or being motivating or just great hunters. I met, uh, guys that gave me all kinds of advice when I actually got to come down and hunt last year. So yeah, like you said, great, great group of individuals. And, uh, yeah, it was a, that was a magical weekend we had last year for sure. And you probably can't even keep up with all the hunting invitations <laughs> that you've received yeah. since that time. Oh, come join us here. Come join us there. And it was really good. Even though I'd love to be on the mountain with you and I couldn't last year, it was great to see you and, and Dan in, uh, I think you had one other gentleman with yep. you yep. in the back country of Nevada and you guys had a great experience. And just to know you were in my state, uh, hunting country that, that I've been in and you came back with a beautiful mule deer. I was like, See, yep. that's awesome. That's no, so I, awesome. I picked your brain a little bit. You, uh, you had some good advice for me. So that yeah, was perfect. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, so about me, where do I start? You know, I, uh, you're down here in the Carson Valley, uh, visiting. We're about an hour south of Reno. I was born and raised here in Nevada, actually up in Zephyr Cove at Lake Tahoe. And it was a, it was a great place to grow up. You know, I was in the mountains all the time and you know, the basin is not known for hunting or anything else, but out, a lot of outdoor activities. So as a young kid, I grew up in the woods, whether it be building forts or spending my days, you know, down catching crawdads or, you know, browns out of, out of Tahoe and then filling up the bathtubs with a crawdad and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just kind of eating off the land, I guess you could say. And so I was raised in the mountains, grew up from a very young age, ski racing, um, ski my, racing. Yeah. My parents were very supportive of that. And so basically from the age of five, when I was kind of a peewee, I grew up through skiing. And then when I got about 13, my parents said, is this something that you really enjoy? Cause yeah, it was expensive. And they were both working two jobs, uh, to 
to accommodate both my sister and I as ski racers. Uh, and we loved it. And we both started getting to more of an elite level. We competed in all the junior Olympics. Um, and, uh, it was fascinating. I could travel the West and, uh, see, this is what it's about. You know, me and my family, you and your family. And my uh, daughter's trying to feed me ice right now. That, yeah. Well, it's a little warm today. You might need a little ice. Yeah. <clears throat> but, um, anyway, so we grew up ski racing and made it to, you know, pretty elite level where we were traveling the country. And, uh, I won a junior Olympics when I was 15 up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which led to more opportunities. But through that, it was it, traveling the country, you know, and, and outside of the country. The only way I could stay at that level is through dedication and training. And even as a 13 year old kid, I was in the gym. Um, I was working out at home with sports cords and had my own little gym at home where I could, you know, stay fit even as a young kid. And through that, I started understanding what it took to kind of stay at, an elite level. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was kind of my, that was kind of my upbringing. And so real quick, I got to ask, cause I was a big ski junkie growing up as well. Nice. Was it, was it downhill? Was it moguls? Was it freestyle jumping? What, no, I what can't do doing? moguls, not for my knees, but no? I was, I was okay. more into the, uh, the Alpine. I did a lot of, uh, you know, downhill, okay. super G cool GS and slalom. Right um, and, uh, you know, just, in, just enjoying the mountains. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of my training in the fall, the preseason, you know, fitness so that we could be right on track with our fitness for the winter, we would, um, it would take away from my fall of, of hunting. Right. And my dad grew up, uh, and my uncle Byron and my uncle Mike, you know, they grew up hunting together more in a subsistence way. They would, they went to college, they would hunt buy a 50 pound bag of rice and they would eat, you know, abalone and pheasant and deer and, you know, California pigs. And that's what they, that's what they survived on. And so my love for game came from them in what they provided on the table, even though I couldn't go out and hunt as much as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And when I did, it was such a special occasion, go down pheasant hunting with uncle Byron or, you know, duck hunting with uncle Mike and, and right. you know, maybe one day of deer hunting here and there with my dad and, something I really missed, but I stated and you know, my focus was ski racing. Right. Um, but my love for the mountains, you know, was still there. Then once my ski racing career, you know, I kind of got burned out of being on the mountain nine months out of the year with the Southern hemisphere, going to New Zealand and Australia during the summer to train or up to Mount hood. Um, I got burned out mm -hmm. and started coaching and, uh, you know, wearing softer boots and being on the mountains with the kids and, sure. and training the junior Olympic team. Okay. Um, then it came to the, uh, the point in my life where the, I had to figure out what I was going to do. And the coach from UNR, um, Arnie, he calls me up and says, Dave, you ready to come out of retirement, start racing again? I thought, well, if I can get my education through my ski race, all the years that I put in at this training, I might as well do that. So, I hung up the coaching jacket and put on the, you know, the downhill suit again, mm -hmm. you know, the skin tight suit and it was back to racing. Nice. Uh, so it got, that's what put me through, you know, college basically. Okay. Um, and then, you know, with that, my love for hunting was, you know, I was able to get out a lot more. So really in your college days, it's kind of when you started to really get after the, the hunting, yes. getting up in the hills and, 
was it more bird hunting? Was it more big game, small game? I did a lot of duck hunting, okay. a lot of duck and chucker hunting when I was in college, just because it, it was easy to just get out and, and, you know, bust butt on the mountain and then get back and do classes. You know, when you're so focused on a sport, it's very difficult to, you know, give your attention someplace else. Sure. But, you know, that's carried over, you know, the de- dedication to ski racing carried over to my dedication to my bow hunting and being on the mountain. You know, love has been there since I was a little kid. When I got my first, when I got my first deer at, you know, 12 years old. Um, so that, that never, you know, decreased, but it was just the opportunity that I couldn't do. So in college was when I, you know, really started to, to get back in hunting and, and really didn't pick up a rifle, just grab the bow. And, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, how many years now? 20, 20 something years now. It's just been How old are we? Uh, yeah, just turned 42. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, 42 is the new 30. It is. I agree. Supplements and food that, that we take in today. Yeah. yeah. I feel as good as I did when I was in my 20s, I think, honestly. I, I think I feel better than I did when I was in my 20s. I, I don't feel like I look in the mirror and look the same as I did when I was in my 20s, but I feel better. You, I, you know, I watch you guys, I know you guys, and and the lifestyle you lead as parents and you both look so wonderful and you both are so healthy and you live a, a you know, wonderful lifestyle. It's well, I'm not going to agree. My wife looks hot. I mean, yeah, I agree <laughs> yeah, with she, that. She is beautiful. You, but look, you're I, handsome, but she's, I she's got a beautiful. big old scruffy beard and um, my hair, you know, I never brush it. It's, it's probably way too long. We had this it's, conversation today because we, <laughs> we actually camped up by the, uh, archery site last night and it was sort of like a dust bowl. And today I woke up and I thought, we're going to do a podcast with Dave. And I've never met Dave. He's like this famous guy. And I'm like in dust from my, and I look at Ryan and he, I said, you need to brush that hair. It's like, no, I'm not brushing this hair. And then he looks at me and he goes, you're so hot when we're camping. And I go, oh my gosh. <laughs> he never says that kind of stuff to me normally. She's so like, I said, she's... all right, well, we need to go camping more often then. <laughs> That's a great thing. That's a great thing. Much hotter when camping versus a motel. <laughs> Whatever that is, I don't know. Well, it's a lifestyle that you love, too. That's it. I would That's say, cool. though, my 44 years, I've kind of gotten to the point where I do like I've, – I've tried to rally for a camper. I kind of like that idea because oh. where we live in Washington – Sometimes it's pouring rain and being in a tent is just not that much fun, especially with kids now. When it was just him and I and backpacks on our back, it's a little different. Now we got kids screaming in muddy shoes and my daughter wanting to wear four outfits a day. And, you know, it's just, a, it's a little different. I think a camper would be, would be nice, but. Yeah. I've almost bought I've into the idea of a camper. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like it's cheating a bit, but I, I definitely see the value in it, especially where we live. Yeah. So, but again, I'm not I, asking for like a <laughs> RV, like a, you know, a, what are those at the RV park campers? I'm just asking for like, just throw one on the back of the truck kind sure. of camper, you know, with like an actual bed in it that I don't wake up in my 40 something year old shoulders feel like they got chiseled hey, and I, I splurged, Dave. I, I bought two cots for the girls. Now, I'm still on the ground, but I thought that was going all out. But yeah. I guess not. <laughs> the little things. The little things. Yeah. Okay. So, back so, to you. Yeah. You mentioned you did a little chucker hunting. Um, there is, I think chucker hunt gets overlooked just a little bit. Chucker hunt will make a man out of you. It'll make a man out of anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm looking around here. I'm assuming you probably have a few... Pretty close to home right here, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, being in Nevada, there's, there's chucker all over this state. Yeah. Um, and we have phenomenal bird hunting. Yeah. You know, and as you know, chucker hunting is unique. It's, uh, you know, the first time you go chucker hunting, it's a lot of fun. After that, it's just revenge. It is. And you got to get revenge on these birds because they, you know, you bust into a covey at the top of the hill. And next thing you know, they're down at the bottom of the hill and your buddies, <laughs> you know, that couldn't hike up there was blasting those birds and you're hauling butt to get down and it's back up. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a very interactive. They're always laughing at you, Dave. Always laughing at you. Whether yeah. they're on the opposite hill up in some rim somewhere or, or they get to the top ahead of you. and Yeah, they're always chuckling and laughing at you. But. You know, and I love I love duck hunting. And, uh, you know, I, I love to eat duck. But, uh, you know, and there's a science to setting out a spread and, and calling. And I just, I love that part of it. But it wasn't interactive enough for me, you know, putting on waders and everything else. And I still love to duck hunt. But if... If I'm going to have the opportunity to get up and lace up my boots mm-hmm. and, you know, hiking in the rocks and, and, you know, maybe picking up a shed here and there, glassing up some deer that are, yep. you know, up there, I'm, I'm going to take that opportunity over, over sitting in a marsh. I grew up chucker hunting and that was, um, I've mentioned it before. I, I didn't get into big game hunting too much. Uh, still got my first year like you, uh, I think I was 14 or somewhere in there, but, um, most of those early years were chucker hunting. It was just traipsing around the hills, trying to keep up with my dad. Like you said, climbing up these shale rocks and sage, steep sage rush uh, mountainsides and, and getting after them. And I think that's what gave me the endurance back then. Um, that's kind of kept with me over the years, I yeah. think. That was a good foundation. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I got a ton of respect for guys that chucker hunt. It's not easy. <laughs> and to get your limit out there is, that's saying something. That's an accomplishment in my book. It is. For yeah. sure. So Jason, you talk about the endurance from, from the mountains. I attribute a lot of my success physically on the mountain hunting mm-hmm. from the years I spent at high altitude ski racing you know, and training up there. We're, we're at, you know, eight, nine, 10,000 feet up here at heavenly. And we're training, you know, six days a week, uh, a lot of nonstop, you know, high speed runs, you know, training long, long distance courses, your lungs, your capacity, you know, I, I think a lot of that really helped, uh, you know, in the fitness, in the fitness part of it. I don't spend as much time skiing as I used to mm-hmm. now that the kids are a little bit older and they're coming with me. That's, you know, that's been good, but I, Hey, I'm a believer. I mean, I saw your Sherpa like, uh, uh, <laughs> capabilities last year going up those Hills and going down those Hills. Well, you so, saw, yeah. you saw me in my shorts <laughs> and, uh, you know, standing next to Scott Carr, who's just a mountain of a man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've got these skinny little bird legs and you're going, hey, are those your legs or you're riding a chicken, you know, oh, but, geez. uh, all I know is, uh, you know, I ate your dust coming down that big mountain. You you hauled tail to the bottom, and uh, and I did not have that in me. I did not have the quad quad strength to uh, go down with that eighty pounds as fast as you did. That's for sure. Well, you think I you think I was hauling butt? I was just trying to keep up with the momentum of my pack. Is that what it so was? As long as I could keep my legs rolling really fast, I could keep up with the pack. Uh, I was so worried I was going to blow something out, but then I just saw I saw this cloud of dust, and then it got to be about you know a quarter of a mile away. It seemed like, and I was like, well, there's no point anymore. There's no beating Dave Baronio. Uh, it's it's all relative, you know. We all have our challenges, you know, on the mountain. And, you know, like I was telling Hillary, uh, before we started, I work out 
so that I can be the best I can be on, on the mountain for myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it's uh, going to this competition, it's a great way to test our shooting ability, our shooting under pressure, you know, with our high heart rates. And, uh, it's just a way for me to see, to gauge, have I done everything I can this year to be well prepped going into a season? Yes. The competition's fun. You know, the camaraderie is fun. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, really just about myself, not, you know, pounding my chest so that I can, you know, say I was the, always the best, you know, athlete on this day. And, you know, I just had a post where I had the golden cam in my, in my hand. And I said, you know, this was, this is the result of all my hard work last year. And, and it's a great reminder, but it doesn't mean anything anymore. This cam going into this next weekend, it does me no good. It's a whole new, it's a whole new day. It's a whole new chapter. It's, it's all new guys. It's, you know, other people that are hungry and wanting to, you know, wanting to dominate as well. So I just, you know, I can hang that thing up and go, yep, that was, that was that chapter. That was really good, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. This will be interesting this year. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I, I like you, you know, I have no aspirations of, of even getting podium this year or doing any of that, but I'm just, I'm just really looking forward to watching guys like you and whoever else shows up. You know, I think, uh, last year, it, you know, it got talked about so much. I think there's a lot of people out there that were maybe a little skeptical. Um, we've been trying to change the opinions on guys, like change their minds. Hey, give it a shot. I think there's going to be a lot of competition this year coming into these, these events and, um, it's going to be a showdown. It's going to be really fun to watch. And I think the scores are going to be tight. Um, there's going to be some animals out there. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm just, I'm down here. Um, like you said, I, I want to meet everybody again, um, that I, I was able to meet last year and just watch this and have my whole family here this year to watch it. And, um, they've got a kid's event this year. My daughter's going to do it. She's really excited about that. So it, it's just going to be fun. Um, I can't wait now. I'd like to ask you, did you change anything in your training last year going into the, your first event versus what you've gone into knowing how it, how it ha- was? Well, everything's changed a little bit minus the meat pack and everything this year. But have you changed any of your workout routine? Um, I, I haven't really changed it too much. I've just kept up with the intensity. You know, I, I train with, with tie holes and bighorn strength and my main trainer, uh, Kwanjanim George Fuji, West Coast Martial Arts. I say my trainer, my good friend, we, we push each other to to change things up and not just get stagnant in our training. Mm-hmm. And it's been uh, – I haven't done a lot of running and this is definitely going to be a runner's, you know, more of an endurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've incorporated a little bit more of that and less of the heavy hiking. Right. Uh, that is one thing that I, that I did change. Um, you know, I've got that great pack from the outdoorsman that you that. mount the plates on there. Yeah. That, that thing, thing amazing. is awesome. It's comfortable. You throw two, you know, 45 and a 35 on there. So th- that's what we were really excited about for getting ready for the meat pack. And I'm bummed that they took that out of there. Me too. I'll admit it. <laughs> I'll admit it. That was, that was kind of the one thing that it was the hardest of it. And that's why I liked it the most, actually. And it was, it was, just, it was hunting. It was, it was it being was. on the mountain. It was packing your stuff into your camp, into the mountain. It was packing your camp and your meat off of the mountain. And, you know, I'm definitely going to mess that. But what's also what I think is good about this new format is there's endurance. Mm-hmm. There's the challenges. 
there is shooting under pressure, I think is going to be the main under pressure, high heart rate Mm -hmm. and breathing is going to be our main thing. And last year, you know, you, you beat me on the, uh, on the shooting in the 3d course. And, um, and then, you know, it was getting into the challenge course that it it changes things. It completely changes things. Yeah. That, that, what used to be day two of the event, um, the Sunday will be the second event this year. Um, you know, without that meat pack that completely can flip flop the board. Um, I mean, no doubt about it. If you do, if you put in a couple of bad shots, you know, with your heart rate elevated, say you go through all the challenges and then you have those, you know, you got a mile and a half, two miles to hike with 50 pounds on and you blow one or two of those shots up there while you're hiking it, man, you're, you're really hoping that somebody else did the same thing almost because there's no chance. If you, if you blow a shot, you're, you're pretty much out of it. Um, you've really got to be on top of everything and be able to shoot, like you said, um, with your elevated heart rate and, uh, yeah, high pressure situations. You just cannot make a mistake. No, you can't. And you're a big backcountry guy. And, you know, when you're chasing, chasing elk or when you're having to, you know, or even hunting bears, you know, as bears are, as they're moving, they're constantly moving and feeding right. and you're having to get, you know, get up and around them or, you know, get in front of the herd of elk or whatever, you're getting an elevated heart rate. And yeah. when they start coming in and your breathing changes and, you know, you got to make sure you shoot under pressure. So this is a great test for that. And just taking a, a quick step back, this is, there's a lot of competition with the train to hunt. And I, hopefully for everybody listening, those of you that that are that don't want to go do a train to hunt because maybe you don't feel you're fit enough or that you wouldn't be able to compete against certain individuals. Um, I think you need to take another, take another look at it and say, you know what? I want to do this for myself. It's not just about competing against somebody else. I do think some people don't enter the challenge just because you know, worried or, or they don't want to look bad or anything else. Challenge yourself, practice those, you know, that getting a high heart rate and shooting. Cause I mean, it could be anybody's day. You may be the fastest runner, but if you can't shoot, (laughs) (laughs) no, I mean the best guy on the mountain that day could miss one shot and that's it. (laughs) Next guy up. So yeah, it is true. You kind of have to set your pride aside if, if you want to get better. And that's all this thing does really, honestly, it, it's, uh, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm so happy that, that I did that last year where I kind of put it on the sideline. Like, I don't want to go down there and get beat by all these guys. It's one of those things. It's these guys trained for this all the time. And, um, you know, I just went to compete and, and I surprised myself. Uh, it was just fun, you know, just have a good time and test yourself. And all it's going to do is make you better. And I've trained harder this year and I've shot more this year. And that's what it does. It just kind of elevates your game. So, um, yeah, I, I, I talk to people all the time and who are a little bit sketchy about it, you know, on the fence. And it's like, man, you got nothing to lose. Really. You're going to get support from every guy there. And, uh, everybody's going to be, you know, you know, clapping for you as you come across and, and rooting for you. And, uh, if you come in dead last, there is not one person <laughs> kind of look at you funny yeah. or, uh, give you any grief for that. You know, everybody's, uh, just happy to finish it. So, yeah, you know, kind of an interesting thing is you, without back outdoors, we've, I've, you kind of get put on. Now a, tell everybody about Outback Outdoors. Um, obviously it's, it's a phenomenal show. I've, I've probably watched every one really well made, 
you're a big part of that. Um, well, Trevin, Trevin, Adam, and myself, you know, without back outdoors, it's, it's, it all started, oh geez, 13 years ago. Yeah. Um, Trevin and Adam started out back outdoors and asked me to be a part of it as well. And it's just, we just wanted to tell our story. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't want any, any fame or, or celebrity status. We just wanted to be able to share these experiences and do it in a beautiful way. It's, it's great to come home with pictures. It's great to come home with memories, but when you're able to, uh, you know, bring people along on that adventure and they, and they get to see what happens. We try to keep it, you know, as real as we can. We don't, we don't do a lot of, uh, you know, retakes or anything mm -hmm. else. We want to capture it as we go. Sure. And there's, there's plenty of times where Trevin and I are at each other's throat and, you know, things that really happen up on the mountain between two guys that are tired and stressed. And then you, you miss an animal or something screws up. And so, uh, it's really, it's really been a fun adventure. Adding to that, you know, you see Outback Outdoors on TV doing some of these other celebrity things, but I hope people see the realism and that we're just regular, regular guys, just like, you know, any old blue collar guy that's out there working hard to go hunting. Yeah. There's a few more opportunities to go hunt and we're capturing and doing what we love that opportunity. And, and that has been really special, but, uh, you know, it also makes us no better than anybody else. We're just telling our story. And with that, you know, going back to the train to hunt, I've had people say, you know, oh, Dave, you, you know, celebrity guy, and we see you working out all the time and you're shooting all the time and, you know, you're going to win this. And, but just because you had, you're up here on a pedestal, which I don't think at all, I don't feel like that's me at all. Um, I feel like just everybody else. I've had people say, well, you, by doing this, you kind of have a lot to lose if you screw it up. You know, if you, if mm -hmm. all these guys sure. shoot better than you, or you don't, you know, pack as fast as we think you can because you, you know, uh, so on and so forth. But for me, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. I, I don't feel that, uh, you know, I have anything, I have anything to lose because I'm just like the average guy. I'm going to go there and give it my best, whether I win or lose, if I can give it my best effort, that's all, that's all that matters. And if somebody looks down at me saying, oh, you know, he wasn't as good on that day as, as, uh, you know, people think he would be sure. Then that's, yeah. And that's, that is really respectable because I've had this talk with my wife actually about, um, some, some folks that I've met in the last year and I've actually been told, nah, I, I can't do that. I can't do it because it's going to make me look, what if I lose? Right. So, uh, I'm like, man, that's a cruddy way to live. I think <laughs> there's that. so many, there's so many things. That's why it's respectable that you're putting your neck out there and you're just doing it. And, um, you know, you're really good at it, but you're putting your neck out there. You know, you, there, there's a possibility somebody could show up and beat you tomorrow. Well, the but truth you're doing is it. somebody is eventually going to beat you. Absolutely. I mean, that's just how life is. If you stop doing stuff that you love and being around the people you want to be around and getting that motivation, because you're afraid of losing or looking bad, you're missing out on the whole experience. <laughs> I used to box back in the day, and my coach, Coach Eddie, he uh, he said something that stuck with me way back, and he said, "There's always somebody tougher than you, Ryan. No matter what it is, you could win a hundred matches. You're going to come across a guy that's going to beat you. There's always somebody in this world that's tougher than you are, and I always remember that. So, and just... I think that's that's a great thing for people to, you know, kind of humbles you a little bit. I do know. A number of 
high profile people that do not want to do a trained hunt just because of that. They, you know, they have the, everybody has this image of them and they're not willing to, you know, stick their head out. I, I, not that I hope somebody beats me, but I know how hard I work to better myself and to be the best that I can be personally. And if somebody beats me, I'm super stoked for that because then I, in the back of my head, I go, that person busted their hump to, to get to that point. Mm -hmm. I know there's better hunters out there than me. I know there's, you know, stronger, stronger men out there than me. There's, there's probably plenty of hunting women that are stronger than you know, stronger than me and guys that, that can out, out shoot me as well. But if I, if I train and I do the best I can, and I know that when it comes to the mountain time, when I have a tag in my pocket and I'm not in, you know, I'm not restricted by my physical ability or my ability to shoot because I've practiced. That's at the end of the day, the most important thing for me, whether somebody beats me on the mountain. Yeah. It kind of sucks coming in second, but this is more for me than it is for anybody out, out there that looks, you know, yeah. that watches. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's so cliche, but if you don't test yourself, you know, you're never going to know. Right. And, uh, it's unfortunate cause yeah, there's a lot of folks out there that do have that skepticism. Like I just can't do that cause I might be beat and, uh, that's too bad. <laughs> be a cruddy way to live because, uh, I get beat every time I go <laughs> to one of these events, but Hey, I'm still going to do it because I love it and I know it's going to make me better. Um, and, you know, hopefully next year better than this year. So, Well, I think for Ryan, it's more about, too, he's really competitive with himself. And if he were to come here and not medal, he's not worried about he, – he's not looking at, like, oh, Dave beat me or Scott Carr beat me or whoever the next big up-and-comer is. He's not looking at it like that. He's kind of hard on himself that way. Like, there's something I didn't do enough of that I need to do more of. And we all have busy, you know, we were talking about that. We have busy lives. You know, busy is kind of a word people throw out there these days. Uh, You know, everybody has these busy lives, quote unquote. But if there's something you're really passionate about, and I noticed that with Ryan, is he will definitely make time to fit those things where he feels like his weaknesses are. He'll fit time in to get better at those things. He's competing only with himself, really. And just a little plug for kind of you too, when you guys were talking at the beginning of the podcast about when he came home from train to hunt last year, he was a totally different person. I've, I've known him 22 years. And last year when he came home from train to hunt, he was, uh, just, I hate to use the word energetically. I don't want to freak people out, but energetically, like mentally, um, emotionally, a different person. He just got, he got so motivated at the train to hunt by guys like you meeting you and and the other people that he met. And like, I've talked about in other podcasts, you know, his, his tribe, it was like all of a sudden he had met his tribe of guys that were not only love to hunt, but they love to work hard to hunt. And not only did they like to work hard to hunt, they like to work hard the rest of the year. You know, because for most of us, hunting isn't year round. Now, maybe guys like you or, you know, guys that are going to other hemispheres to hunt or whatever. But, you know, he's working hard all year round. He's thinking about it all year round. Um, And he's thinking about his body and taking care of himself and nutrition, as you know, his gardens. And he just he just was like all of a sudden he found this tribe of people that uh, he felt really comfortable with and that he felt like he could compete with in a really healthy way inspiring. Yeah. Inspiring is a great word. So when he came home, he was just like inspired 
to uh he's always been a good hunter that's never been ryan's problem like he's he's like an epic hunter and i haven't appreciated it much in 20 years because i don't hunt and he's always been good at hunting he brings home these huge enormous animals and i go oh okay i think everybody does that you know that that's my perception so I see now it's not always like that. And people may look up to him like he's such a good hunter. Well, he's always been like that. And that's partly because he competes heavily with himself. He, he, he prepares, he works hard, he loves it. But I think before trained to hunt before last year, when he came, there wasn't really a group of people that were inspiring him to, to be better at, other things than just hunting, right? Like he has now this inspiration that's much more, it's much more well-rounded. And that's why we're sitting here doing this podcast. None of that other stuff out there can change. I mean, you, you are what you are mm-hmm. and you can improve yourself, um, you know, in certain aspects and leaving the train to hunt last year, I was so inspired all, the, you know, seeing every different, different person out there, different body type, different, you know, strategy, different abilities. Um, I saw guys out there that were not, that didn't look very healthy, you know, overweight, that just dug in and gave it everything they can. I was so inspired by that. And then you see guys like, you know, Scott Carr that, you know, he went from, you know, being overweight to being just a mountain of a man and being very competitive. And then, you know, just everybody that you would be around, is, you know, inspires you. And I'm a firm believer that, um, there, like you said, there will always be somebody better, faster, better looking, a better shot, more physically fit than me. I want to surround myself with like-minded individuals that have a drive that are inspired by me, but also to know that I'm inspired by them. I mean, I watch you guys, I mean, both of you inspire me. One, your, your quality of, of life, the way you live, the way you look at life, his, you know, everything that makes him who he is, his ability to hunt, um, you know, his passion for it. There's, you know, those are things that I look up to. And when you surround yourself with like-minded individuals that are better than you in so many different ways, hopefully it will help improve my life and make me a better person. Well, getting Ryan to be to have that tribe like you guys and, and, and reach that bar improve my life. It's when someone in your life goes out there and they find like this, they get the ability to feel really supported uh, by a group of people that completely understand who they are. And I, I, I think that in that improves everybody else's life that's around that person. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's completely infectious. Um yeah. and I think, you know, it's it's obviously done a lot for us, but um I've seen it get spawned in so many other guys. Like we all know who Scott Carr is now. Um he's one of the trained out competitors that uh I was fortunate enough to meet last year. He's he's created, you know, like he's got this Facebook page like Hammer and Chisel, right? Hammer and Chisel Facebook page. And he's got guys getting on there and that's these guys are getting better and stronger and pushing themselves just through that. And all that came from Scott, which came from train to hunt, which it's just, it just keeps that ball rolling and guys are getting into these workouts and, and just making themselves better. And they're passing that on to the other family members and, and it just keeps going. Right. 
I mean, I, I love it. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with what we're doing now with the podcast and this and that is try to be infectious, try to get folks to think about food, think about health, think about ways to better themselves. I haven't competed in a train to hunt. Uh, I've just been to them. Uh, I've met the people there. Um, I, I haven't hunted. I've barely even shot a bow in my life, you know, uh, and it's changed my life. It's changed. I'm changing other people's lives in this community that, you know, I, I had no intention of helping, uh, really. And so that's, what's been cool about it. Well, you've, you've watched one, the train to hunt, but you've yeah. watched your husband, you know, grow over the years. Cause I see the pictures of you two, you know, yeah. when you got married in your boat and you're fly fishing and, you know, and I look at that and you know, all the years that you've had together, but you've grown to appreciate his passion, his love, um, you know, for, for his body, for his mind, for the mountains, for the animals that he pursues. And when you open yourself up, whether you decide to hunt or not, whether you, whether you have hunted or not, it's just understanding who he is and why he loves so much what he does that you can then appreciate and support that passion. And, you know, there are, there are women out there, uh, that look at you and, look up to you because you inspire them, but also you make a difference in their lives, you know, and, and just like, just like you, you make a difference in, in other guys' lives, even like me, you know, to watch you and see what you do. Um, and I think really at the end of the day, if we can be just great people, if we can lead by example, if we can do good things in this world, hopefully, other people will follow our lead. Hopefully, you know, other people will take on kind of those good mindsets, the good morals, the good ethics, the, uh, you know, just contributors to, to our society. I think so much has gone in our society in regard to that. So much is lost, whether it's, you know, television and media and, you know, the fast, busy pace of life. You don't, you don't see those faults or those flaws on social media. No, you, don't. you know, everybody puts out the best of sure. best of everything. And, uh, um, you know, I, th- I think that has, that's kind of a poison in itself as well. So such an event coming together where you get to meet, meet everybody and, you know, see the blood, sweat and tears and the, you know, the successes and the failures and just say, you know what? Uh, it is what it is. It's life. Mm-hmm. You know, no, nobody is so perfect that, uh, you know, they, they won't fail at some point, but it's mm-hmm. what you do after that failure, you know, or, or I think or, the nice thing about train to hunt is still small enough, even with, I think it's 66 competitors. They said at this Reno competition this year, that's what signed up. I got to think there's going to be a few more yeah, folks that show, but yeah, it's yeah. still small enough where you can have that. Right. We've been to a Spartan race where there's like 5,000 people. It's nuts. It's just like, people so many people you end up talking to nobody no it's you know how it is when you're like if you go to new york city and you walk down the street in new york city there's like millions of people nobody looks you in the eye nobody yeah. looks you nobody but if you're talks in a small to you. town you, you're know, in a small town, you find that old timer so that's kind of what I, like. I, I hope train to hunt grows but i also hope it keeps that sort yeah. of family feeling where it doesn't become something so big that everybody it's just a competition and nobody's going there for that camaraderie. Yeah, you know? I don't I don't see that it would be be that way because it is it is a hunting world. And True. hunting is such a small True. I mean yeah, it contributes to a lot of tax dollars and you know hunting is big out there but in the whole looking at the whole realm of it, hunting is still so 
you know, small in our society and a lot of people don't like hunting. And so staying close and tight with those individuals and creating, you know, being a good leader and ambassador to hunting, I think this is a great way to do that as well. I don't see trained to hunt as going to that, you know, so big that nobody talks. I think Ken's like, shut up, Hillary. I want 5,000 people. What are you talking about? Well, what did you say? There's 66 competitors in there. Well, uh, um, I I still have yet to sign up. So there's going to be some folks that haven't signed up. Uh, Mr. Jesse was telling me, yeah, there's some people that he knows are showing up that haven't signed up yet. So they sign up the day of. I knew I'd compete anyway. It wasn't a matter of, uh, you know, going on and signing up. There were, there were other aspects in life that, uh, you know, influenced, yeah, influenced that, but yeah, I'll be there. I'm looking really looking forward to it. Oh, I can't wait for sure. I can't wait. Well, man, one thing I really wanted to talk to you about, and I like talking to a lot of folks about just stories that they've had. I know you spent so much time, um, in the mountains and you do a bit of guiding. Um, just talk about that. I mean, you, where do you, you get a guide over in Wyoming, is it? Yeah. So, this came on a number of years ago, and through the stories of our lives, it's amazing the people you meet, uh, the places you go, and how your life changes over time. Uh, you can meet somebody that uh, wouldn't change your life very much, and then you can meet other people that will change your whole world. And through Outback Outdoors, we went up to Wyoming, and, and we you know, paid a trespass fee to go hunt on this piece of property we call the windmills Mm -hmm. and um it's south of evanston wyoming anyway i got to meet daniel richens who owns the rnk hunting company uh he and ted kimball and and justin um he said dave you know if if you ever want a guide you know got a spot for you so i went out there one year and i guided for three weeks and then uh you know it turned into me running the Wyoming property, mm-hmm. uh, you know, managing the guides, managing the, the hunters when they're there, the lodge, just love that, love giving back. And what's, uh, it turned into something wonderful. So I go back every year for, you know, a month and a half, two months to go guide. I, it's, a, it's a very special thing for me. And the reason being, uh, that I love it so much is I didn't want before I thought, you know, I don't want to go guide. I love the mountains so much. I don't want to be, you know, I've heard horror stories of a guy taking, you know, some city slicker up there and he was nothing but a jerk the whole time and kind of ruined my experience. And then I started looking at it a different way. This is just one more opportunity for me to be in the mountains, for me to call elk or glass mule deer or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, and so I took on that different mindset. Whoever I was taking out there, I wasn't going to let them influence, you know, or detract from my experience out there because every time I set foot in the field, I learned something, something else. I don't know everything. And every time I go out there, I learn something new and something that's going to make me a better hunter. So with guiding for the RNK hunting company, I've met some phenomenal people. And one thing that I absolutely love is taking guys out there who have never hunted an elk in their life. And to to call a bull in to five yards, to 15 yards, to show them and give them that experience, that sometimes is a better, uh, I get more enjoyment out of that than I do actually going out and hunting and, and killing, you know, an animal myself. Because they are experiencing something that is 
totally unique. They might have hunted whitetails their whole life, and now they get to hunt elk, and all of a sudden this big thing is standing in front of them. You know, it might be a, a small five point, but it's screaming and slobbering on them. Yeah. And when they leave there, that experience changes their life. They're like, wow, that was unbelievable. Thank you for that. And so that's what I really love about guiding is to be able to share, to be able to influence, to be able to guide, mm. and not only just hunting, but also on a personal level. I've spent many days on the mountain where we haven't had the opportunity in an animal, but just to lay back under the aspens midday, maybe take a nap and then talk about life and about, you know, relationships, business, whatever it may be. Um, it's a great platform to communicate with people, uh, kind of in a raw, right in a raw area. But you know what, one thing I love about being up there is we, um, we were able to instill an atmosphere where the guides and the, and the hunters, the clients were, were one, right. You know, we would eat breakfast and lunch and dinner together and we'd all hang out at the table and we'd, we'd just BS a little bit. And, you know, just because you're Joe's guide doesn't mean that you won't help so-and-so. And when one guy would put an animal down, he was on a text message and it was like meat bees. Every, every guide that was available threw a pack in the ranger and they were there to pack that animal out as quick That's as possible. Cool. So it was a great, it was really great camaraderie. And, and what, what is just so special about, you know, like I was going back, you lead by example, you kind of influence and you, and you give these guys a magical outdoor experience. One thing that's really personal to me is the animals we pursue. You know, I've got a great passion for, for animals, whether it be the research we do on the bears here in Nevada or, you know, the, the, uh, I've seen you're, you're really heavily involved with that. Yeah. Um, And so when we would put down an animal up there, it was important for me just to, you know, show those guys that I'm just going to take a knee. Do you mind if I just take a second here? I know you've killed this animal, but I want to be, I want to, you know, kneel down and just give thanks for what was provided for us. And some of these, I've had guys just like tear up when they hear the words that I'm speaking up there and just being thankful for that time, for that animal that has, um, you know, provided its life to, to feed, you know, to nourish our bodies. Right. And they look at it a whole, I mean, it's not just, you're not just out there killing for the rack. I mean, now you look at everything that goes into it and you're packing the animal off the mountain and you're, and you're, you're taking the heart back to camp so that the cook can, can cook it up and just enjoy, you know, the bounty of our harvest. Right. And they start to look at that a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. I, um, I, I have noticed, uh, a bit of a change going back to your previous story, uh, in myself in taking people out. I really enjoy taking new guys out. Um, you know, I, new guys that haven't had those experiences, they haven't been able to get out there. And I've told the story many times about a kid I took out a couple of years ago on his first bear. And, um, it kind of, it changed his world. He saw what we loved out there that he would have never, ever been a part of unless he had gone with me that, that week and spent that time with me alone back there. And, you know, I didn't have a tag. It was all about him just getting him that critter. And, uh, and he developed a huge respect for, for the, the back country, you know, everything from how good the water was. That was a big part of what he came away from it was, uh, man, that's the best water I've ever had. It's like the 
cleanest tasting, coldest water I've ever had, which I didn't think that was going to be even part of the equation, but that was part of it. And, um, and even to go to, um, you know, experience guys, I do remember a time where I, I growing up, my uncle was a big time hunter. He hunted all over. He was either down on the Sonora or he's hunting big game here and there and all over the place, but he never did it bow hunting. He was always a rifle guy. Um, and so I got really heavily into bow hunting in my early twenties and I ended up getting my bull. I ended up taking him out on a hunt and he kind of hung up the towel a little bit. I took him out on a bow hunt. He drew this tag. And so I was guiding him, just calling for him, doing all this. And, uh, man, we had one of the funnest weeks he's ever had in the mountains. He'd just never been a part of like the rut fest. He'd never <laughs> seen bulls screaming, coming in and we didn't even get one. We, we came so close so many times where he was, you know, ready to draw and that bull just wasn't quite there. But, um, he never got to experience any of that September type hunting being a rifle guy. And he had all these years of experience. He thought he'd seen it all. And at the end of it, at the end of that hunt, he was like, I mean, he was reinvigorated. He was just like, man, that was fun. You know, this guy in his mid sixties and he's just like, it's like a young kid again, what he got to see in something that he, he just didn't know what was out there. He was yeah. bow hunting for ruddy bulls. And it was just a complete different experience. And I felt good about that hunt. And that was a, that was kind of a, it wasn't a guided hunt, but it was just taking him out there and showing him something different that he hadn't experienced that he had blind eyes to. Yeah. Well, you know, myself with the knowledge that I have with you and the knowledge that you have, and so many of these other guys out there that are so experienced, um, it would be a, you know, hopefully there's not a selfish aspect to it that we, you know, can take people out and we can, it would be a shame for all that knowledge you have and that experience you have to just be kept to yourself and for you to take your uncle out there and show him that for me to guide clients who've never been on an elk to have that experience or call in a moose, you know, for other guys out there, I hope they can, you know, be inspired to say, you know what, I'm a great sheep hunter or I'm a great moose hunter. I want to take somebody out there who doesn't, who's never even done it. And I want to show them what I know and, you know, kind of teach and lead. Right. You know, it's... Well, while we got here, Dave, again, I think I was getting at this a while back. Um, you know, we, we've both been able to enjoy a ton of time in the mountains. I'm sure you've got some really cool stories. And I want to get one, one of your best from time spent in the mountains, whether it's a hunting story, whether it's being back in there, running across a bear. Um, I know you've got a bunch of them. Shoot, I saw you taking selfies with bears like last week. So, <laughs> well, you know, I've got a lot of I've got a lot lot of great hunting stories, and um, you know, I could I could sit here for days talking about this hunt and that hunt, and you know, all, but each one is unique sure. in its own. One, which th- one? Which one is more memorable? I mean, thinking back, like maybe it was your first deer. How did that? How did that happen? Was that a here in what here in Nevada? Yeah, um, it was a bow it, hunt. It, it was hunting with my dad. It was a rifle hunt, okay. and you know that I can still smell the sagebrush that's burning on the catalytic converter of the truck. Sure. You know, which is has now you know has my whole life been my favorite smell ever since that day. Um, just being out there with with Uncle Byron, Uncle Mike, and my dad, and f- taking my first taking my first deer was pretty uh, was pretty special. And those those memories, you know, will stay with me the rest of my life. It's really hard to gosh pinpoint, 
you know, one hunt that was, was unique. But one thing that I absolutely appreciate and love, um, it's not so much a hunt, but my time, uh, volunteering with the department of wildlife for bears. Right. Um, I know you were touching on it and this doesn't have much to do with the hunting aspect, but it comes back to giving back. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Carl Lackey is a bear biologist here in Nevada, you know, 15, 16 years of just good, solid bear studies, you know, trapping, collaring, researching, so on and so forth. And my time up there has been so memorable as a volunteer going in and checking dens, you know, you got these GPS collars and you're and the telemetry and you're finding the den under the snow and you're having to dig down to it. And then you're within feet of this sow and you got to trank her. And then you have to climb in and move wow. her head so she can breathe, you know, fill her eyes with some goop so they don't dry out and then pull these cubs out. I mean, you talk about, you talk about a grounding, uh, real experience when you have that cub and you smell that cub or you smell that mom and it's in your hands and you go, this is a, this is a brand new life and what they're doing in the research to help and promote and to, you know, create longevity and protect these animals, not just, not just to hunt, but so the future generations and, you know, as hunters, it's our obligation to do everything we can to, you know, not just, take, but also give give back. And even though it's not a hunt, that experience up there helping, uh, and seeing what goes into, you know, a biologist's research for the number, you know, to, to look at the number of bears and to, to track these sows over years and see how many cubs they are having per year. And the only way you can do it is by, you know, the collaring and the research and everything else. And there's a huge fight right now that's going on. And I'm sure you saw it on Facebook a little bit where people were attacking me, attacking the bear biologist, uh, uh, on the research that we were doing, calling us, you know, killers. And that we're, we're, you know, trying to get these animals, uh, uh, we're trapping these animals so that we can transport them to hunting areas where they sure. can be killed, but they just don't understand. They've never laced up their boots. They're sitting on the couches and they're fighting, you know, what they think is the right fight, but all they're doing is they're hurting the, the science-based research that needs to happen so that we can properly, properly manage, sure. you know, these animals. And it's really, it's really unfortunate. It's, uh, it's kind it's come down to a, you know, it's, it's coming to a head that's, uh, you know, can be disaster. They're, they're, they're hindering. Are they winning? Well, it's, uh, I remember you posting that. I remember reading the article about it. Um, as far as, uh, you know, guys were recognizing or noticing, you know, these cages that where you guys are trapping some bears and, and, you know, doing your thing. And was that, was that pretty much the gist of it? They just, they kind of in their mind came up with this conclusion that you were trapping them and just taking them out and killing them. That was just one, that was just one aspect of it. Right. The, the, this, this league feels that we should just completely leave them alone. But the problem is we've had generations of bears, especially, you know, along the, the Sierras and up at the lake that have lived off of garbage. Yeah. And, um, you know, whether in, in August, when they start seeing more traps, they're thinking, Oh, they're trapping more bears now before the hunting season. So they can be taken to hunting areas to, to be, you know, shot. Sure. But what they don't understand is that August and September is when these bears are just gorging 
themselves so that they can, you know, prepare for the winter. What are they doing? They're going to the, to the garbage and they're creating, you know, some havoc in, in neighborhoods and they've been conditioned that that's where they will find a lot of their food. And so if we don't recondition the younger generation, the new ones coming in, uh, that you don't want to be around neighborhoods, dogs bark, you might get a, you know, some BBs in the butt, uh, you get harassed. Sure. You don't want to be there. Um, until we do that, these moms continue to teach their cubs where they can find, find food. So by restricting, you know, the Which department of wildlife to in reality. Oh yeah. It's not a matter of, you know, has anybody, it's not, not a matter of if it's just when right. something will happen. And, you know, by, by restricting the department of wildlife from doing their part in trapping, transporting, uh, you know, and collaring bears, you know, when you restrict that, now you take away the tool of being able to, to recondition. So, um, you know, there's a lot of great hunting stories out there, but when when you can give back, that is some of the most enjoyable, uh, you know, for, yeah, for me. I've noticed that you've been a big part of that for, for a long time, really. How many years have you been, uh, aiding with, uh, is it Nevada Fish and Game, Fish and Wildlife? Yeah. The Department of Wildlife, the, the bear team. Yep. Yeah. And they deal with hundreds of bears every right. year and it's been, oh geez. And Carl and I are friends. You know, and he doesn't give me any special information, which people think, oh, yeah, he's giving you special information. Uh, they accuse me of, you know, guiding for bears. Well, I don't guide in Nevada. I've never drawn a Nevada bear tag. When I do hunt bears, it'll, it's in California. Um, I don't, you know, so there's so many, so many yeah, things that are thrown out there that are that just are putting false. stuff out. Yeah. Sure. So it's been, yeah. you know, it's been a number of years helping and there's been so many different experiences, whether the bears are charging you and. But what's been magical about working, you know, volunteering my time is, is it has helped me learn more about bears. And I know you're a, an avid bear hunter. By volunteering my time and spending time in the mountains, I've learned more about the animals that I'm pursuing. Um, you know, whether it's helping with bighorn sheep or helping with sage hen or helping with bears you from volunteering you learn more about these animals and these are the animals that we're we're pursuing and so you know when i'm in the mountain uh, and you see a number of times i come in you know really close yeah i've seen really close with bears it's not a hunt right and i don't even have a weapon on me but it's reading the animals and understanding them and seeing their language no i had a i had a california bear hunt a number of years ago and a friend of mine was filming and we it's all spot and stock. We weren't using dogs and you can't use bait in California. And, uh, you know, you, the berries were ripe and we're sneaking in and, uh, made a great 40 yard shot. And this, this bear is just, you know, he's going to expire, but he runs uphill. And when he realizes I can't run uphill, he turns and comes right back down at me. And you might've seen the video where I shoot him at five yards as he's coming, yep. coming right by me. Yep. It was just that a, was intense. You know, such an intense, oh, man. Uh, you know, thing and being on the, on the mountain with, with a bear, when you've spent time studying them, you get a whole different appreciation. You get a whole new idea of, of what that animal is all about. Yeah. And it, I think to correlate that with, uh, with hunters versus anti hunters, I, I, I see it so often that there's a lot of folks that just don't understand it. They don't understand that, uh, you know, it's us guys that are out there actually pursuing these animals we develop a greater respect. I truly feel it's a greater respect for the animals than, than folks that 
sit on the sideline and don't actually involve themselves with wildlife. And we, I mean, it's, it's a respect and it's an understanding. We learn these animals so much better when we're actually involved, we're pursuing and we're learning their behavior. There's so much to be gained from us getting out there and spending time with them and, and, you know, observing them. And whereas unfortunately a lot of folks and, um, unfortunately again is is folks making big decisions um in the political realm are the folks that don't get to spend that time they don't understand them they don't know their behavior they don't know all this thing all these things and they're the ones that are dictating how they're managed unfortunately um and we see that you know we're we're in a state of washington where um there's no baiting there's no hounds none of this and um folks they're really pushing to outlaw, you know, not just hunting, but bear hunting especially. Um, and it's just because of uh, a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. Yeah, it's a, it, it is. It's a lack of knowledge, lack of understanding because they don't spend the time to go out there. You know, Carl has asked a lot of these antis to come and see what he does, see how he treats the animals right. when they're, you know, uh, tranquilized and see how he, he takes care of them. And I, you know, that I think is a, is a, is a big thing because as hunters, we have a responsibility to the game and the land, you know, that we're pursuing and that, that we're on and, and we are out there and we see what's happening, you know, and, and for somebody to dictate what we're doing out there, the best management tool of wildlife is hunting. Absolutely. It costs, it costs the taxpayers, nothing. It, it, we're actually paying to be able to go help manage sure. uh, the Department of Wildlife and, and all those other resources. They don't have to pay for our volunteer time. Well, what a resource that once you start outlawing, you know, outlawing certain things, you're just, you're taken away from the overall good, taking away baiting. Baiting allows bears to come in. You can look at the bear. You can, you can study them. You can determine, you know, it does it. You have some time with it. It does. Is there a cub sitting off in the background instead right. of taking a long range shot and just, you know, not knowing using hounds, people want to outlaw hounds, but it gives us an opportunity to tree a bear or a mountain lion and make an educated decision on, is that going to be a good animal to take out of the, right? you know, out of the, uh, you know, the number of animals is, is it, is it, but it's interesting. And I don't think many of these people who voted, they outlawed hound hunting and baiting knew if they knew what the state does now instead of folks like you and i going to buy a bear tag contributing to management through our funds now the state actually goes and pays hired hunters to go out and do the same thing that we were doing with hounds to run these bears Uh, and now we're paying that's going to our tax dollars whereas before it was funded we were able to do it and we paid into the system for management taking that one step farther those Bears that are managed by these, by paid, uh, you know, exterminators, mm-hmm. basically. Those bears, the hides aren't used. The meat goes to waste. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just taking out these animals. Whereas us as hunters are the best management tool for managing these animals. Give us the tools to do that, whether it's hounds or allowing us to bait, make educated decisions on shooting. Then once that animal is taken out... We are, you know, using the hide, uh, even if it's for just a mount. At least we can, you know, uh, look at that animal and and respect what it was. The meat that goes into our freezers that feeds our family, you know, 
that stuff doesn't go to waste. I see that people are so um, removed now from that experience that, you know, if you need to eat or you need to live or you need to provide your housing in a second, you would go out and kill that animal. Yeah, put that person in that in that place where they have to survive yeah. and, and do that. People people are so removed from the reality of 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 life, of where our food comes from. Yeah. We can go to the store, we can buy packaged food, we can buy boxes of crackers, you know, we can buy the vegetables that are on there that we know have have been mass produced and don't have nearly the nutrition of, of what you can have in your garden. But here's here's one thing that I love is every morning, every single morning, I cook up game for my my kids to eat. That's what they want for breakfast every morning. So those kids will eat game every single morning. And it makes me see. And then so, you know, and I'm eating it every day as well because that's what I choose to eat. I choose to eat something that I harvested, that I know where it came from, that I know has been drinking mountain water and breathing, you know, mountain air and has lived free until my arrow found its mark. Not something that's been, you know, in a small pen its whole life walking around in its own, Mm -hmm. you know, fecal matter and hasn't had a good quality of life but is marbled and, and tastes great. No, I choose to eat something that is all natural that I go out and kill. And now I'm providing for my kids and that's what they would rather eat. Absolutely. All the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's a special thing for a dad when he goes out and, and kills an elk or a, or a deer, uh, a, a deer or a bear or whatever it may be. And, and you're feeding your kids and they're loving it and they're eating it up. And Hey dad, can you make me one more? Yeah, absolutely. So in my fridge, I, I've got, you know, my, my Tupperware and it's got a whole bunch of cuts of meat in there and I, you know, it'll sit in there for a week and I just keep pulling different parts out. And, and it's all stuff that up. you took. Yeah. Right. It, we're the same way. Um, I mean, it's like, it, it is heart melting when I see my daughter, my daughter's two years old and, uh, what, what word <laughs> does she throw around more in our house than any other word? Meat. Meat. <laughs> meat. She it's, doesn't have many words. Meat. When she's hungry, she yells for meat. And whether that's a piece of jerky that I made, or it's a piece of sausage that I created, or it's just a burger, or whatever kind of meat it is, she loves it. I mean, she absolutely loves it. It's part of the lifestyle. It is. It is. So, yeah, it's it's raising them with that. And, yeah, it's a, it's such a good feeling. It's hard to describe when you've actually provided it, um, you know, and, and got all that. I mean, the freezer is just... It's just blocks of gold in there, right? When you get it all taken care of at the end of the end of the end of the fall season, and and you look, you sit back and you look at all that meat in there, and it's where you're going to be living on the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, uh, we're fortunate to have well, the garden as well to add healthier. to that. So. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's healthier for for you, anyways, right? We know all these nutrient nutrient qualities of wild game, you know, higher. The marbling might acids. not be as good for you as the little bit of leaner <laughs> elk meat that you're getting. Yeah. So grain fed, probably not. As good. Well, the, Definitely you know, the not thing as about good. your lives is, you know, both of you are in different aspects. You, you know, you being, having your doctor, you being a hunter and an outdoorsman, you have, have such a platform to lead by example for this, you know, for this world and, and lead people in a great way and influence them in a great way, not only to, you know, maybe grow their own crops or, or look for a better choice in what they're putting in their body, right. whether it be the meat that, that we, you know, bring home or the, you know, the the vegetables from our garden. So, you know, for me, I love looking at your stuff on, on Instagram and seeing what you guys do and just listening to what you're doing. Um, 
I appreciate it. And I know there's plenty of other people out there that, that do as well. I love doing a podcast with Dave because he just like pours you compliments. We're supposed to be giving you compliments. <laughs> We're going to ask you a few questions. Yes, uh, we okay. won't take up your whole day here, but uh, we I'm good. Let's I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot I'm right like, now. Yes. Uh, these can be long answers, <laughs> short answers, whatever you think. Um, what, uh, what's your biggest strength in life? My biggest strength, I think, is leading by example. Influencing. You know, a lot of people don't know this about me. I, uh, you know, they see me as an outdoorsman, but I perform 175 weddings a year. Mm -hmm. And to be able to be a part of people's lives and influence their lives and make their day special or make that one time that I get to talk to them special, guiding on the mountain and touching their lives, performing a wedding and making their wedding day the absolute most memorable wedding day they can seeing somebody on the street and smiling and shaking their hand. I know better than anybody else. I want to make, I want to influence and make people's lives great just from being a good person. And, and I think, uh, I think that's one of my biggest strengths. Okay. How about weaknesses? Weakness. Oh Jesus! I know. Given me a little bit more time to think about no, it. We don't because I have because we don't want you to think. I have, I have a lot of weaknesses. Well, look, uh, um, there may be. Yeah. It might be the first person. Dave may not have a weakness. <laughs> I know. If anybody's not going to have a weakness, I mean, you I knew be his the strengths first before. To say I have no weaknesses, that'd be awesome. Okay, here here's one of my big weaknesses. Okay, is I have a hard time saying no when somebody needs something. Uh, whether it's a desperate situation or they, or they need something that, you know, I have, I've got a hard time telling somebody no, um, which I I need to find, I need to find more strength to do that because sometimes I put myself out so much that it then takes away from my personal time or my kids or, or, or anything else. So I think my biggest weakness is probably turning somebody down or saying no. Okay. Mm. What are you most grateful for? I am most grateful in life, I think, for those that uh, I'm around. My family, you know, my parents, my sister, uh, my friends, my kids. You know, if everything else, you know, if all the materialist material things go away, the one thing I'm most grateful for is the people around me because I know that should you be on hard times, they're there to help you. Uh, they're there to make you smile, um, you know, pick you up, or you're there for, for them. So I think the thing I'm most grateful for is the people in my life. That's perfect. Well, wow. I think, uh, yeah, I think we can call it a wrap today. I mean, man, I, <laughs> I, 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 I so feel motivated it. now. I'm yeah. like... I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now, but I feel pretty good. But about I'm going to do something. <laughs> yep. I'm going to go lay out in the sun because it's like 85 degrees we and not might raining. Have it's to bebop and go hit one of these snow-capped mountains and try to climb it here <laughs> once we get out of Dave's house. Um, well, man, I appreciate this um, sitting down with us today and inviting us over to your place here and getting to hang out. And um, you know, our girls are outside, probably bouncing on the trampoline or doing something. God knows what. Well, but. it makes me feel good that you've come into my home and that, you know, we're smiling together. We're laughing, we're sharing stories. And like I said, it's the people in your life that, uh, they, that are really special. And 
you know, I, I cherish our friendship, even though it has only been just over a year, there's been a lot that's happened in that, in Absolutely. that year. And so onus of seeing some of, uh, yeah. the elk and the deer that are hanging around. I, I'm super fortunate to do these podcasts because I get to go to some uh, folks' places like Dave's here. He's got a giant, what is that? What'd you say? That was a 393 bull. Yeah. Things just a beast monster bull right here. So um, cool. Well, again, we're going to see you on Saturday. I'm guessing we'll probably be, uh, I'll be eating your dust and, uh, and it'll be fun to watch. And we'll see how it goes. We got two days left, and it'll be nice for all of us to come back together. Absolutely. Yep. You guys have it's a, safe, be a blast. safe trip back up to Reno. And if you need anything, give me a call. Appreciate okay. it. All right. Sweet thanks, Dave. Day. Thank you. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to the Hunt and Harvest Health podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit our website at huntharvesthealth.com for more podcast stories and recipes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hunt Harvest Health. You can also message me at Healthy Hunter, that's S-T-H, and I will be more than happy to answer any questions you might have. Also tag your photos, Hunt Harvest Health, or Get Stealthy, as we enjoy seeing what you guys are doing as well.